I'll yeah, get ideas uh, from my ideas. There's an idea. Are you a busy Ruby developer who wants to take their freelance business to the next level? Interested in working smarter, not harder? Then check out the upcoming book, Next Level Freelancing, Developer Edition. Practical steps to work less, travel more, and make more money. It includes interviews and case studies with successful freelancers who have made a killing by expanding their consultancy, developed passive income through informational products, built successful SaaS products, and become rockstar consultants, making a minimum of $200 an hour. There are all kinds of practical steps on getting started, and if you sign up now, you'll get 50% off when it's released. You can find it at nextlevelfreelancing.com. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 47 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. We also have Jim Gay. Hello from Arlington, Virginia's greatest suburb, Washington, D.C. Awesome. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And real quick, I want to um, mention this to a few people. Um, I get requests from people who listen to all of the shows that I do. So some of you will be interested. Some of you won't. That's fine. Um, if you're not interested, I apologize. Um, you can't help me by getting the word out, but I'm going to be teaching a Ruby on Rails course um, starting in March. And uh, I, I love to get people to sign up if they want to learn Ruby on Rails. I think the approach that I'm taking is a little different from what a lot of other people do in that it's a course over eight weeks. I encourage you to build an application and then we get it uh, deployed to a server or to Heroku or both. Um, and, and just help you figure it out, help you find what roadblocks you're going to run into as you build whatever application it is and, uh, you know, kind of get you all the way, uh, through the process in eight weeks. And I don't think you can get that from a book, from videos or from a two or three day in, in person course class. So if you're interested, go to railsrampup.com and sign up. And I just appreciate you listening. If, if you're not interested, then I would appreciate it if you just tweet that out and let people know that it's available. Awesome. Yeah, I think that'll be great. Uh, like, I know a lot of people who come to local meetup groups and say, oh, I'm trying to learn. And, you know, they spend some time hacking away from reading tutorials and cobbling stuff together from the internet. But uh, a long course like that could really help people kind of get over the hump and understand. So, yeah, that's what I found. I've, I've had a few people actually come to me and say, um, I read this book or I took this class and now I'm trying to build my app and I'm running into these issues. And so that's what this is kind of designed to work around. So cool. All right. Well, let's get into today's topic. We're going to be talking about full-time clients or full-time projects, I guess, either, either way. So these are projects where you're what you're working like 40 hours a week or as much as possible. And you only have the one client, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Unless you're like Chuck and you take on multiple full-time projects and you might have two full-time clients. I, I really have a project or a problem with that. It's not um, full-time clients per se, but I have like a full-time client and then I have another project that takes up about full times worth of time. I, I really so you don't sleep. I really haven't for a while. Maybe we should talk about health and fitness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the importance of sleep. <laughs> yeah, the importance of saying no. And why Chuck is so... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so uh, I well, think I can, I, I, I can say that um, for me, when I first started getting full time clients, I was relieved because, you know, when you have lots of small contracts, either if they're all happening at the same time or they're, you know, they're just sort of like happening staccato throughout your calendar, you know, you get one and you work on something briefly and then you have nothing and then you get another one and it's small it really took a lot of stress off there. There are other stresses that I'm sure we'll you know, get into talking about, but I was completely relieved when I finally got that contract that I knew was going to last, you know, six months or a year long or, and, and it was going to eat up all my time. Yeah. I mean, you kind of went from one extreme to the other. There's the extreme in the middle where it's a long-term contract, but you're not working 40 hours. And that's, that's kind of the sweet spot for me. That's where I like to be. Yeah. Same for me. I mean, for, I guess most of my business I've had, two to maybe up to four or five clients and majority of those were like you know the the term was like in the span of years and it was like a little bit of time each month 
And that was nice because, you know, you kind of got a steady stream, but you also have kind of redundancy. Like if a client needs to stop or if something happens and you guys part ways, you still have other clients. It's not an all or nothing approach. Yeah, that, that's definitely one downside, I guess, to having full-time clients is that, yeah, you, you know, what's your backup? You got to go find another client. Yeah, that's definitely dangerous. Um, <clears throat> it's always good, um, you know, we've talked about marketing yourself and that type of thing. But I, whenever I get a new project, I start looking for another project. Um, just so I'm, you know, I, I at least make sure I'm on top of staying in contact with people. Um, but for those ones that last a really long time, you know, if it's a year long, it's easy to kind of lull yourself into this false sense of security and kind of forget about it and then get into panic mode like in the last month of your contract like oh no i'm not going to be working next month yep unless they renew but yeah yeah and and i i've done that i i've heard a few other people say well this contract's going to last a year so i'm not going to worry about marketing right now and you know if if you can pretty well count on the the work being there then i guess that's okay but you know, they're, they're a client just like any other client. So you, you have as much guarantee as you do with anything else. So I, I like the approach. I like saying, yeah, you know, you should be marketing anyway. The thing that I, you know, I used to have projects where I would work 40 hours a week uh, on a project or more. And for these, for these, you know, single client deals. And just lately I've started trying to pull back because um, I would hear others, like even on this show say, yeah, trying to work 40 hours a week is crazy. You can't do it. Um, and I would do it. <laughs> and I didn't think it was crazy. But what I've found now is as I pull back my time, I try, I'm try. i trying to do other things. I'm trying to, you know, do more research and finish up a book. And I find that I feel like I actually have less time. And so even though I'm trying to shoot for 30 hours, I actually would love to only have 20 hours. And so when it was just me working on a project and it was 40 hours a week. It was the only thing I had to worry about. And I feel like as I pull back, then I sort of try to fill that time with other things and realize how little time I actually have to do all the things that I want to do. Mm -hmm. I, I want to go back real quick to the point that you made where, you know, you should be marketing while you have this full-time client. What, what comes to mind for me is, what do you do if one of the other clients or leads lands in, in you're still in the middle of this other full-time contract? Because then you don't necessarily have time to pick up the other contract. Yeah, that's a good question. I think it probably depends upon, you know, the client and, and what you can do. You can always schedule it out and say, yeah, I can do these things, but I'm not going to be available for, you know, a month or two months and depending upon what you do. And in that time, you might be able to, you know, find somebody to help you. Maybe you can do part of the work and someone else can do part of the work, or you could actually farm out all of it to someone else. But it, it depends on how you go into it. You know, if you go into getting a contract somewhere and they want you on site and you're already on site somewhere and, you know, they want you, then it's pretty much impossible to join up with somebody and, and have them support you in the project. But if you go into it and you treat it as though, you know, you're, you're a separate business, you're not just an individual and you have an office of your own, regardless of whether or not it's in your house or it's a coffee shop, but you have an office and a place where you work, like starting the relationship or the discussion around a project that way, I think can help at least open the door for you to be, to, to better manage two at once. Yeah, that makes sense. And like you said, I think it really depends on the contract you're working in, the contract that you're landing, and how they can uh, work together. Yeah, and see, I do, I do it a bit differently because I don't want to hire people. I don't want to have subs unless it's like design. Like I don't want to have a developer as a sub. And so, typically, like right now, I'm on a full time contract, and so I'm getting leads still, even though I'm not marketing. And depending on what they're asking for, I'll either tell them like, "Sorry, no, I'm not interested," or I'd say, "You know, I'm interested in this, but..." I'm on a current contract and I'm not going to have availability until we'll say June, you know, and say like, if that's, you know, if you can wait till June, you know, we can start talking, you know, May-ish and try to get it ready and on deck to start in June. If that doesn't work for you, you know, I'm sorry, you have to talk to someone else, you know, and I basically set that expectation up front that like, I'm not going to hire people out. And if I'm not able to work on it, then, you know, I'm just not going to be able to work with them. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess another thing I do is I try to refer them off. Like if, if I know other people who are like they have some availability or there might be someone that's a better fit, I will, you know, pass on their name and say like, hey, talk to 
you know, talk to Chuck here. He has some time, you know, he might be able to do the project for you and basically just keep it as a, a straight referral and not trying to sub Chuck into it. Yeah, that makes sense. So are there any other things that we want to, you know, any other downsides? I know that one downside for me with the um, working full-time is that I do have other projects that I want to, to do. I mean, I was kind of joking when I said I have a full-time job and then I have my business is kind of my other full-time job, but it is kind of true. I mean, if I'm working 40 hours, I really don't have a lot of time for anything else. Um, it's really hard for me to fit in the podcasts even at 40 hours. Yeah, yeah I it, honestly don't know how you do that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you how I do it. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually behind on my hours with my client. I will admit that. And and it it's, it is. But they knew up front that I had the podcasts and that I was going to have to work around them to work for them. And, you know, I, I try and get at least 30 hours a week. You know, if I can, I'll get more. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just really, really hard. And then I'm trying to pull this uh, Ruby on Rails course together at the same time. And so that's another project. And I have other things that I want to work on that I just don't have time. Well, the problem for me, it's not so much the time, it's the energy. Like, I've gotten into a state now where I can do all the time I need to for this client every day. But by the end of the day, I'm shot. Like, I, I'm lucky to have the energy just to go through and process my email. I'm not even considering doing marketing or writing or any of that stuff. And I've basically kind of, you know, over the past few months drained it so bad that I'm going to have to take a break and step away and you know, take a quote for vacation. But I don't think it's going to be a real vacation and basically recharge my batteries. And that's, that's kind of the hard thing. Cause I know at least for myself, when I'm working for a client, I push myself hard. And so I know that I've been draining down my energy over the past you know, couple of months with this client. And I knew like, I'm going to, not going to burn out, but I'm going to get close to burning out. And that's just something you have to manage. I mean, that's a, basically a business risk I took on for, you know, having the stability of a full-time client and the revenue of a full-time client is it's going to, you know, burn through me. Yeah, that's, um, that's definitely something to balance. Um, and I think kind of going back to what Chuck was talking about earlier, uh, with, you know, your client knowing that, you've got these podcasts to record. I think it's all about setting those expectations. Um, and so if you're picking up a project and you know it's going to be, you know, a, a lot of work and they're, you know, it's like the 11th hour and they need you because they have to completely change something because it's broken or just unmaintainable, you sort of go into it with an expectation that, you know, well, this is not going to be a 30-hour or 20-hour-a-week job. They need somebody who's going to be pulling 40-plus hours, you know, um, all the time. You know, there's there's upsides and downsides. You can make a lot of money doing that in a very short period, but then you get out of shape or you, you don't sleep well, um, you know, neglect your family in some regard. But I think it, it comes down to figuring out how you're going to set not only expectations for yourself about what you want to get out of a particular project, but then turning around, setting expectations for the client of, of how you're actually going to manage their project and whether or not you are available for more. You know, if they hire you for 30 and they, and they say, oh, you're great. We, we actually, we said we didn't have money in the budget, but we, we really do. We need you. You know, what is your answer going to be? Is it going to be, yeah, I'm all for it. Or, um, no, because you're doing these other things. All in all, though, I think I'm definitely happier having these long-term projects just because it relieved me from worry about, you know, on a daily basis uh, or weekly or monthly basis about what's going to happen. Um, so that even with all the warts and downsides of not feeling free sometimes because all your, all your time is sort of bundled up into providing hours, I don't know, I feel, I feel that's better than not knowing what's going to happen or, or, you know, constantly struggling to pull that next project in. Mm -hmm. So that's a bit different than mine. Cause I, the full-time stuff every now and then I feel is good. Like, you know, cause you can, you can actually make a considerable amount of money in a short period of time, but I found it's way more sustainable for me to have multiple smaller projects that span, you know, a couple of years. And for me, that's when I felt comfortable because then I can have, I can get into kind of a regular systematic process with each client and it's not all like a, you know, a bunch of fire drills, like, Hey, we're doing another launch. We need everyone to do 60 hours this week. Like that doesn't happen when you have the, kind of the longer term more maintenance type contracts. Yeah. I'm curious about how you find those contracts. So for example, I will often get 
at least lately, I've been getting kind of rescue projects where the code is not in the best shape and perhaps a good portion of it had been outsourced to a team that wasn't really, you know, well-educated in how to even use Rails or Ruby. So I've been hired to help problems with that. And then also, you know, the team, finding out the team just is not operating in a way that they communicate well. And so finding a project for me that would only be 20 hours, like somebody might want to hire me to help me do that stuff. But if you're not really there with the team, you can't really, at least I haven't been able to really improve team communication and help everybody work together better from not there all the time. And say, so I think the ones that worked good for me, I was the sole developer. There might've been like a designer on it, but it started out as kind of a greenfield. We need you to build this thing. And that was where it's kind of the more intense, almost full-time effort. Once it was built, then it shifted down to, you know, we'll say a quarter time effort of just kind of maintaining and adding new features, you know, maybe a new version here and there, but it kind of, you know, start with the big thing, get it out there and then just slowly refine it. And that was great because of, you know, I'm able to communicate well with the clients. And so we're able to kind of plan things out and scope stuff and kind of get you know, ahead of any deadlines we needed. But I think that might just be, you know, luck of the draw and just how you filter your projects. Yeah, I want to pop the stack real quick uh, a couple of times. Um, the first one I wanted to talk about was the the energy thing that uh, Eric was talking about. And I've definitely seen that as well, especially when you get into the fire drills that he talked about. Over October and into November, we kind of had that big major push because they were going to a trade show and they wanted to show off the product that we were working on. And uh, so we did. We we pushed and, you know, we were pulling 50, 60 hour weeks. And... Um, you know, and then it came to Thanksgiving and I pretty much just took the whole week of Thanksgiving off to recharge. And, uh, you know, so if you're not into those kinds of things, then you full-time clients may not be the way to go. Um, or you can just be clear, like Jim said, and just set the expectation up front. I'm not going to pull more than 30 or 40 hours a week. The other thing that you talked about that I, I want to dig into here uh, a little bit, and I'm sure you guys have stuff to add on it is, is the money. So, I mean, if you're working a full-time pro- uh, project and let's say you regularly would have worked like 20 hours a week and for this project, you're working 30 or 40 hours a week, you will make more money. It's just, you know, a function of, you know, more hours times your hourly rate is more money. And uh, that that's kind of the thing right now. I, I renewed with my client. I'll be working for them for another six months and it's a full-time deal. And uh, the thing that that's really getting me excited is that uh, my wife and I are going through Financial Peace University, which is Dave Ramsey's program for getting out of debt and uh, building wealth. And um, so we're looking at getting out of debt and uh, extra money means that you can get out of debt faster. And so that's something that's really exciting. You know, we can build up that emergency fund maybe. And so uh, it, it does pay off that way as well. Yeah, it it absolutely does. And I think it depends upon, like, as you started talking before you even got to the punchline, I was thinking, yeah, it's it depends on what you're going to do with it. You know, like, taking on those projects, if you don't really need to, you know, if you're, if you are not in debt, and you are, are reasonably good at handling your finances, and you only need 20 hours a week, then that's great. You know, um, why bother going after those unless you want to sort of build up funds and take that take that money to take time off to either develop your own product or just go on a vacation somewhere. I think it all kind of depends on who you are and, you know, what you and your family needs. Yeah. And that's like, basically, like I said, it's for a couple of years, I've been kind of keeping it sustainable, taking, you know, just enough projects to cover finances with, you know, a little bit of extra to put into savings and retirement, and then using the extra time to work on my books and my uh, software as a services. But you know, the whole goal of taking this full-time client on sites, you know, it was an interesting new client and I wanted to work with them, but it was, you know, in the short amount of time, I'm going to make a lot of extra cash that I'm basically shoved into a savings account to have a very, very large emergency fund. So, you know, like I said, I know I'm approaching burnout and I can kind of take a couple of weeks off, dig into that money and basically not have to worry about making ends meet, you know, run into the next contract. And you know, even if you haven't, even if you don't need to have that, having, you know, some extra money in a savings account for that sort of idea is a great thing. And it's more flexible. So I can now take a couple of months to look for another client. Once this one's wrapped up, I don't have to jump at the first one that shows up. I I do like that too. I mean, you know, that's what we're working toward. It's not just getting out of debt, but 
Having the emergency fund means that I can pick the clients that I want, provided I still have money in the bank. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. just got to have a goal. Like, it's a business. Like, you're giving a service and you're with full-time stuff. Most of the time, you're going beyond or at the peak of your capacity. And your business is going to get compensated for that. And you just have to know what to do with it. You don't you don't want to just jump into it and say, yeah, I'll just work for them and not know what your game plan is. Like, I knew going in with this client what I was going to do with the money. Yeah, I... um. I I definitely think that ha- having that time to market, you know, like when I jump in to a new project, I immediately start thinking about what will happen later, um, not necessarily to fill the pipeline, but to either do other things like, you know, practice marketing myself, practice um, doing conversations around business that will help sort of gain somebody's trust that I could help them in the future. So, um if I'm talking to people about potential projects, I, I engage them more about what their business goals are and things like that, rather than getting down to the nitty gritty of like, all right, what do you need to do? When's the, you know, when do you need it to start happening? But also, once you're settled in a in a project, it's easier to start looking right away and try to raise your rates. You know, if you could move to a new another project and you had enough uh, lead time, you know, if if there are three or four people who come along who are interested while you're working, it's easier to turn around and say, oh, well, this is my rate. You know, it's not the one you're currently working on. You've added a little bit to it. And uh, when you're when you're gainfully employed, that's the best time to look for a job. You know, so when you have somebody already paying you to work, that's the best time to look for other work. It's You don't want to wait until you don't have work. Yeah, it's the don't be desperate. Like, don't go to the bank when you need money yesterday, you know. Yeah. So I'm I'm a little curious if you guys have worked um, or what the nature of your full-time uh, contracts have been. Ha- have they always been sort of the staff augmentation? You know, you're part of a team uh, working for the company or are you usually the lone guy on a project and they just need that kind of progress? For me, I've done a lot of uh, staff augmentation, either, you know, helping write code, helping clean up code, helping uh, to get the team to be a better team. I haven't done a whole lot of uh, lone gun um, development. But yeah, you know, when I used to have smaller projects, it was people would come to me for design and come to me for development and I'd do some little, you know, website for them or something. And then that would be it, right? Uh, But now as I'm getting into bigger development projects, I'm finding that I'm jumping in with companies that already have something started and they've sort of lost their way, you know, and so I'll help them get back on the right track and, you know, show them that writing tests will actually be valuable. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I found a lot of projects where, you know, uh, people just haven't written tests and they're constantly in panic mode about whether or not they, you know, they can slow down and figure something out. They, they just insist, no, we've just got to push these features out. Um, so that's that's generally how my projects end up uh, going. I don't know why. I wonder I wonder what I'm doing to attract that type of client, or if it's just the people I know are already in businesses where they have that type of problem. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't. It is interesting. the The project that I've worked full time is, like I said, I, I'm I'm part of a team. It's it's a staff augmentation. I'm one of the two experienced Ruby guys on the team. And so it's it's more of a, hey, let's get people in here who know what they're doing and have them help us with our internal team, you know, gain expertise and get to the point where we we want the internal team to be. And so um, the, the way that this has gone, it looks like they're going to want me around for a while, uh, probably quite a while, as long as they can keep me. Um, and so it's really the, the nice thing about that is then I can, you know, stay with them as long as you know, as long as I'm comfortable, as long as I'm doing, it's taking me where I want to go. Um, I, I've, I've had, I've been the lone developer on projects before. Um, I was the lone developer on a project for most of 2011 and about half of 2012, but it wasn't full time. It was, it was 20 hours a week. Anyway, it, it was so, so I've, I've kind of been in both places, but not as full time contracts. Yeah, I don't think I have either. Though I'm sure if I was hired to be a loan developer, I would, you know, make great use of trying to open source as much as I could to interact with people on the project. 
Um, or, you know, just talk with people at meetup groups. You know, I think for a lot of people who are loan developers, people who aren't really in tune with the community. I remember years ago when I was a professional Ruby developer paid to write Ruby, had no idea like that there were groups I could go to to actually talk with other people and kind of just discuss things and learn new things. Um, but there are people there who I think could really benefit if they knew about groups that are out there, blogs, chat rooms, podcasts, all that type of stuff. And so um, it's easy, I think, when you are the loan developer on a full-time project to not learn anything and sort of stagnate and then also become sort of depressed with your work. You know, you've, you've, at some point you might, you might be happy with your work, but at some point you might look at it and say, I just can't get over this hump. I don't understand how to, how to write good tests. You know, I don't understand how to make this not so complicated or not so slow and um, getting out and talking to other people. If you are in a situation like that, I think it really help. Well, you can run into that too with the full-time, um, staff augmentation kind of thing too, especially if you're the expert that they brought in to help everybody else figure out what they're doing. And uh, I, I've I've noticed that I, I I've seen this somewhat with my current contract. Not with it's not totally that way. There are things that challenge me one way or the other. But uh, you know, in a lot of ways, um, I spend a lot of time doing things that really don't push me to try new things or to challenge the way that I think about some of the projects. So, um, you know, you, you can get that either way. You just have to make sure that you're, you're doing the right things and, and, you know, doing a lot of the things that you talked about, whether you're the loan developer or, um, you know, one of the, one of the experts on the team. Eric, what say you? Yeah. I mean, you really have to watch kind of what you're, you know, where you're growing towards. If you have other developers on the team that are, better than you and not necessarily just in Ruby or Rails, but maybe in JavaScript or HTML or in some way, uh, you know, working with them, you, you know, you'll learn from them, but if you're solo, you won't. But on the other hand, it's kind of like what Chuck was saying. If you're brought in as the expert and if you are kind of above other people skill wise, there's not very much you can learn unless you try to push the envelope yourself. And the problem with that is if, you push it too hard, you might be making decisions or making the application more complex or harder to understand for the people who are more junior than you. And so you kind of have to kind of, you know, hold back a little bit on how much you want to push. Like if someone just got into Ruby, you don't want to be throwing metaprogramming into the project right away. So, I mean, I used to just, you know, that's where I would, you know, use open source or working with different clients where I would set like on this project, I'm going to try these two new you know, I guess more advanced techniques and kind of see how they would turn out. But you just, if you're, if you're on a full-time project, like for instance, like right now, like I don't have the energy to really put into open source or put into side project learning. And so I am kind of just kind of holding my skill set steady and not really learning a heck of a lot. And it's, like I said earlier, it's kind of a risk that I took and I knew it was, I knew it was going to be in that situation when I got started. So if you had to do a full-time contract starting right now, what would be the things that you would hesitate about and what would be the things that you would be excited about? I mean, we've, we've kind of talked about some of these, but I mean, and, and I'll go ahead and start. I mean, with my current client, I, I really hesitated for a while about renewing with them. And really what it was, was that I have a lot of other things that I want to work on. And uh, having a full-time client takes a lot of time. And so the other thing is, is it, it affects the time that I have to spend with my family and the time that I have to, you know, make it to user group meetings and other things because I'm, I'm so busy that I'm trying to, you know, make up that time in other places. And so, you know, that was my big hesitation. But at the same time, like I said, we decided that we were going to go ahead and get out of debt. And so this seemed like a good way to do it. Are, are there other hangups or other things that uh, have made you think yay or nay on, on some of this? Well, if you can, knowing how the team is, that's going to be like we were just talking about, like if, if you know the team is a lot of junior people, then you have to evaluate that you're going to have to keep your skills fresh some other way. But if the team has like a couple expert people or people you want to learn from, then you might be able to keep some skills fresh and pick up new ones just by working in the project. So that's a hang up. Um, another hang up that I tend to look at really big is how good are they going to be about paying? Like, are they a well-known company and they're going to pay you? Are they a startup and it's kind of sketchy? You don't know if they're going to pay you. And also how fast, like if they're going to make you wait two months to get a paycheck, well, two months of full-time work 
basically means that you're going to be in the hole a lot of money if they decide to not pay you. And so, you know, based on their payment terms and based on kind of the company financial structure, that's a big, uh, a big thing I look out for. I like to see uh, flexibility. You know, I, uh, a lot of projects I've been on is on site and that's good. I certainly don't um, think that it's not valuable to be on site with the rest of the team. Um, but as long as uh, it's flexible enough that the team works together well, it's, uh, this is, of course, assuming it's staff augmentation. But if there's already an existing team and they work together well and communicate well, then, you know, working remotely is no big deal. But I've, I've definitely been on projects where if you're not there, then nobody will communicate with you. Even if you, you know, do your best to try to reach out to them, it's sort of, you know, only within the corridors of the um, building does anybody speak. Uh, that's that's that. So I, I would try to avoid a project like that. But I am also definitely looking to find projects where it doesn't require that I spend um, absolutely 40 hours. Um, I know there are startups where they, you know, they're under the gun, they have funding, they're trying to get something off the ground. And they demand, you know, 40, 50, 60 plus hours from their employees and want their contractors to do the same. And I certainly understand there are crunch times, but sometimes some companies get into crunch mode all the time. And so I'm always looking for whiffs of that, you know, asking them about their business process and about what sort of goals they have and what they expect to be able to achieve. Um, and if anything smells fishy to me, uh, then I'm probably going to turn it down. Yeah, and that's actually another one is um, if you have an out clause in your contract, because a lot of this stuff you might not pick up just from you know talking to them and kind of get in the high level. But once you get into it, you're going to see that, yeah, people are doing 80 hours a week and they've been doing it for six months. You know, that's like that's basically like time to use the escape hatch. Yeah, it's definitely something to think about. One other thing that came to mind while we were talking was that with a 40 hour contract, just just like with a full time job. Any of your clients' uh, deficiencies or dysfunctions are going to be amplified by the amount of time you spend working on that or working with it. Um, the other thing that I've noticed with um, my current client, and I love them to death, and so you know, so, so they they do some things that kind of bother me, but it's I don't think you're ever going to find a contract that they do everything exactly the way you want them to especially with more hours uh, being worked and things like that. But the other thing is, is that I find myself in more meetings with the full-time client because I'm getting closer to that uh, employee status. And so they want me more involved with their process. And uh, that's, that's sometimes a, a pain thing for me, especially yeah. when the meetings go six hours. Yeah, that that can be good. I was on a project uh, not too long ago where I they had, you know, weekly staff meetings. And after being at the first one, <laughs> I just went to my manager and said, I'm not going to these things because it was this meandering meeting where, um, every, you know, they were giving updates about who's working on what, but they would wait if somebody was late. You know, they didn't just start the meeting. They waited. and Oh, so and so isn't back from lunch yet. Yeah, we'll wait. You know, it was like 20 minutes later. And so Things like that, I've just said flat out, I'm not going to this meeting. If you would like me to show up at a particular time and give a status, I'll do that. But this, you know, you're paying good money to have some stuff done and I intend to do it. Um, but it depends, you know, if you're on a meeting where you have to like help them plan the direction of an application or the business or something, then of course, you know, you do your best and, and give them the best feedback you can. But there are some times where I've, I've, been involved and I've just flat out said this is a waste of time, not only for me, but probably for all the rest of you. Um, uh, I, I'm, I've worked on a project where, you know, they had stand-up meetings that lasted like 45 minutes and, and I got on there and I said, this, this should be, it was like a team of four people. This should be five minutes long at, at the most. And so we eventually got down to that, but it's sometimes I think organizations don't realize how, sloppy they are with their time and so coming in like nobody's ever raised the question like why is this meeting so long even though they all hate it just coming in and saying hey you shouldn't be doing this uh can make an immediate improvement on just the way the the team works together yeah we we pushed back in our last uh retrospective because we're following the scrum process 
we ha- we actually have a certified scrum master that is pushing this along and uh nice he uh so anyway we we pushed back on him about everybody attending the uh, product demo and the reason there were a couple of reasons but the main reason was is with that we would all basically show up and try to pay attention through stuff that we already knew was done we already knew it worked the discussions really didn't impact us as far as you know how how the process went ahead because they if there were if there were a bug then they just file a ticket and uh and so we pushed back and said well why are we going to this sprint demo and uh you know it's the same kind of thing i mean it it's only an hour meeting but I, I don't know if I dare admit this. I, I I guess I can. I know they listen to Ruby Rogues. I don't know if they listen to this one, but I have actually um, gone to that sprint demo, and uh, we used to go to meeting. So they have the HD faces thing that shows everybody, and I'm usually on one of the webcams on there. And so I basically just pinged somebody else and said, "Hey, if it looks like I'm not paying attention to the demo, um, let me know on Skype." And so then I would just do other work and get other work done during the demo. And, uh, you know, they let me know if it looked like I was, you know, off doing something else. (laughs) I think that's great. I think a lot of times, you know, managers, uh, well, anybody really, I shouldn't just say managers, you know, feel like they need to be the center of attention when actually someone else can be, you know, told about it later and they can be off doing productive work like Mm -hmm. that. Well, that's the thing is I want to provide the maximum amount of value for my time because they're paying for my time. And so... I mean, if I'm sitting there and watching somebody demonstrate something that I already know works, um, just just to get the sign off from the product owner, then that's not a process that really involves me unless there's an issue. And in that case, you know, pull me in. You know, <laughs> I'm online. <laughs> so anyway, that that's kind of where I'm at. But yeah, it and and I think it's fair even in these full time contracts. I mean, they're they're bringing you in because you're good at what you do. And so go ahead and feel free to push back, ask questions, and uh, things like that. Um, I, I I think we talked a bit about the good parts. Like I know it's like I know I've mentioned that for me just the security of it, but getting settled in, into a project, you know, where you if you're working on it full time, you you are working forty hours a week. You know it, and you know it very well, and it's comfortable. So it's it's kind of good to get into a routine where you're you may be solving different problems, but you don't have to bounce around between code bases and, and change context. And, you know, for smaller projects, you know, one hour you're talking to this client, another hour you're talking to that client. It's nice to be um, be able to just sort of get started with uh, with one thing and stick with it and you know, go that route. Yeah, not having the context switches to go from one code base to another code base is, I know that's a big improvement. I mean, you'll still have context switches inside you know, if you have one meaty project of going from like one area to another, but you know, you can keep a lot of the external knowledge along with it. Yeah. One other thing that I've seen with uh, the full-time deal or being the only developer on a project and working on it full-time is that um, you tend to get all the way to the end of the project. Like they're, they're hiring you to help them get to a certain point. And so you can basically declare success and, uh, you know, tell people, Hey, I was involved in that project or, Hey, you know, we got that released. And uh, in other cases where I've been kind of the part-time, you know, semi-maintenance guy, you know, the, the fact that the site's still up and doing what it's supposed to do is supposed to be my victory, but it, it's not as big as like this, you know, major launch of a project that somebody is, is kind of banking on. So um, that's one thing that I, I really like because it's like I put in all this effort and look, we won. Yeah, that's, you know, I, d- I never really did this before, but... Um... Lately, I've started keeping notes on like what has improved. You know, what what was the situation before I started working on something, and and how did I leave it? Whether it's actually code or it's you know tightening up our meetings. Um, and so I've taken these for shorter term and smaller part time projects. That's less of a less of a big deal. But especially if you want to have the option of of leaving early, you want them to feel like you know, you've contributed a lot and you can point back and look at all these things we did since I've been here. Wow, isn't that great? You know, um, so I've been trying to stay on top of uh, tracking all my contributions in a way that will look good when I leave um, and say, this is what we were able to accomplish. 
That's really cool. And I bet you get a, a pretty good list if you're there all the time. Yeah, I mean, it adds up. You, you Because at the end, you could look back at the end and, and you could say, well, I guess we kind of did this and we kind of did that. And you'd have a very short list. But if you're doing it on a regular basis, uh, it just grows so easily. And you can whittle it down later, but it's better to have all that information and you know, it gives you a better perspective on what you actually achieved. So uh, I think finding... Uh, long-term projects or full-time projects, uh, you know, and balancing that with the other interest that you get has also been a challenge for me where uh, I've had, you know, somebody interested in a small project where if I was only working on part-time things, I'd say yes. Um, but then if they only need like one or a day or two of code, I balance it with, well, can I, can I get a higher rate, you know, for doing like taking a day off of my full-time project and working on this small deal? Um, or would I just say no and, you know, pass it along to somebody else? So that's one of the things that I think is different. Um, if you don't have the bandwidth, uh, you don't have somebody who's working with you, um, some of those smaller things that you used to take, you begin to say no to. Yep. All right. So, um, are, are there any other pros to having these contracts? I am, I'm also curious as to how you found or do, or how you find the full-time contracts as opposed to the others if people are interested in working one over the other. So I asked two questions. How rude of me? Yeah, I mean, we already mentioned, you know, full-time contracts are probably going to be, you're probably going to get more revenue from them um, just because it's pretty intense. I mean, if you had a bunch of little projects that ended up made it so that you're working full-time, you could probably get the same amount of revenue. But in most cases, it's easier to manage one client and then versus managing 10 separate clients for the same amount. I'm not entirely sure. I sort of just started getting people interested, I think, from being involved in the community and, you know, having my name connected to open source projects. Um, it just sort of grew over time. So finding the long term projects just kind of came with having more experience and being around and visible. Yeah, the my full time client is the only one that I've had full time since I went freelance. And uh, it, it was a referral. Somebody else was working the project. David Brady was working the project and said, we need more, you know, experienced Ruby devs, you know, please, please, please. And so I went over and worked with him. As far as long-term clients go, um, most of the longer-term folks I found um, actually came off of Teach Me to Code. Um, you know, there are some videos there that demonstrate how to build like a Twitter clone and things, and they, they really kind of get uh, excited about that. And then they have a, a comparably sized project that has some similar functionality. And so they bring me in and, you know, they want over the long term, you know, more focused features than what was in the demo. So how about you, Eric? Yeah, I mean, I've had, I guess, this is my first where I came in as, you know, that full time. I had another one where it started kind of partial time and then it accelerated to full time for about a month. Uh, maybe two months. Um, both of those, I mean, I, I came across them the same way as any other project. I mean, uh, referrals being out there, being available, and, you know, a lot of it is just being working really good with my existing clients that they refer me to other people. Um, that's, it's, it's kind of, I don't think there's actually like a really much of a difference between getting a part time, getting a full time, or getting kind of like the really small projects. I think it's just, you know, in the matter of who comes to you and how you work with them to close the deal. I mean, and it's also, I guess, the availability. Like right now, there's a lot of startups that have a lot of funding, so there's going to be larger work out there versus a couple of years back, things were a lot leaner, so it's a lot smaller projects that are around. Nice. All right. Well, if there aren't any other things we can talk about, then let's go ahead and move into the picks. Uh, Jim, do you want to start us off? I would love to. Uh, I had started a, I just want to mention this. I don't know that there are a lot of people out there listening that are organizers, but I started a organizers uh, Google group for uh, Ruby group organizers. Or uh, Anyway, so if, if there are people out there who organize a Ruby group, I wanted to find a way to collaborate and help um, sort of drive some of the discussion um, in the community and help, you know, contribute to different projects in a coordinated way. So there's some discussion there, and I'll post the link in the show notes. Uh, and this podcast will be out sort of a little while after the Ruby Gems security um, vulnerability 
uh, breach. But I just want to encourage everybody. This isn't really a pick, but it's just go to groups, uh, encourage people at the organizations that you're part of to contribute back to projects like Ruby Gems and Bundler and Rails. Um, because when uh, everything hits the fan, um, and it's usually just a handful of people who are saving everybody's butts. And that's kind of happening right now with Ruby Gems. Um, and I think we as a community ought to do more. Um, and so anyway, I'm, I'm trying to encourage uh, groups in the local area to start contributing, not just hack nights like learn how to code, but let's find some issues on a project. Let's try to find security vulnerabilities and patch them up or report them. Um, so anyway, I'm encouraging everybody to do that. Nice. Um, is there a good place to find out what the patches are or is it just updating rails? They, there's a rail security Google group where they're posted. And then the rails, uh, Ruby on rails blog, uh, has information about the patches but what I would love to have people do is dive into the issues on GitHub and either for Rails or for RubyGems or Bundler or any particular project, uh, like Devise even had a security vulnerability. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot more of this. It basically comes from uh, YAML parsing. Um, and if you're parsing YAML anywhere uh, and it's not well protected, uh, you could be possibly executing some arbitrary Ruby code. So... I guess anywhere you're parsing any anything, uh, leaving it up to Ruby. So uh, anyway, I, I want to encourage as many people as possible to just make contributions, write blog posts about how to help fix the problem. And this does tie back to um, business as well. I mean, there are companies out there who may not know enough. If you have clients who you've talked to in the past, uh, just send them a note and say, hey, there's you know security problems and show them that you're a person who's thinking of them, who they can trust, and maybe they might hire you to help, you know, tighten up their code as well. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Eric, what are your picks? All right. So I came across this one the other day. It's called Free Book Sifter. Basically, I'll have a link in the show notes. But it it's a site that I, I don't know if it's crawling or whatever, but it basically lists all of the free uh, Kindle books on Amazon. Um, I found it because I was looking for some more fiction books to read and Basically, it's ranked by like different topics, but then number of ratings and average stars. So it's actually a pretty easy way if you're looking for some free books to get into like a lot of the fiction series. The first book's free and then the next ones in the series are you have to buy. But I found that got a couple books up there. I'm going to start reading. And then second one is a post on Zen Habits I'm going to link to. But there's basically one thing in it that I want to talk about. Uh, it's, the post is about discomfort and uh, talks about kind of how to get over discomfort. And one of the tips that I thought was actually really nice was if you're doing something for the first time, you're going to get a point where you're uncomfortable with it. It says the first time that happens, suck it up and keep doing it. Uh, that uncomfortable feeling will come up again. Uh, the second time, suck it up, deal with it again. And then if it comes up a third time, then give in and kind of stop doing what you're doing. But the, basically the kind of idea behind it is that don't give up on the first try and don't just force yourself to go through it, but kind of give it a good go and see if what you're doing can be made comfortable or, you know, like if you're not, if you can kind of work through it, but at the other end is kind of limit how, how far, how deep you're going to get into it. So, I mean, the whole post is about uh, discomfort, but I thought that was kind of a good tip that can be applied anywhere else. Nice. All right. Well, I've got a couple of picks here. The first one is I, Got a, I guess you can call it a gift card, but it was basically a coupon code for $20 on ThinkGeek um, from a listener to Ruby Rogues. Um, if you're listening to this, thank you very much. Um, I looked through ThinkGeek and a lot of the stuff I, you know, I was passingly interested in, I thought was funny, but, you know, nothing really grabbed my attention until I saw something that uh, I just had to have. And uh, if you're a Doctor Who fan, you probably recognize this noise. Um, that's the noise that his sonic screwdriver makes. And, uh, that's what I'm holding in my hand is a sonic screwdriver. It's the 11th doctor's sonic screwdriver. Um, it has a green light on one end and a couple of buttons that you can hit to, um, to make it go off. And, uh, you can also hit this little button and it snaps out so that you get the, the full effect. And then, um, 
you know, you, you can uh, hit the button and anyway, so you get the, the sonic screwdriver effect and, and it's just a fun toy. So I thought I would pick it. Um, another pick that I have is an app that I've kind of been playing with for the last uh, couple weeks. It's called Contactually. And uh, it's actually been reminding me to get in touch with people that I uh, have in my leads list um, and, and do follow up with them. And that, when we talked about Get Clients Now, that was my big failing was uh, follow up. So I'm really excited because it's actually seemed to uh, be working. I got an email. It said follow up with these people. Um, I'm going to do it right after the show. And uh, so I'm I'm thrilled because it it really hits me where I'm living and saying, you know, you need to make sure that you're following up with folks. So um, I'm going to recommend that. And finally, um, one thing that I found, I have this uh, ScanSnap scanner that'll do like business cards and receipts and stuff. But whenever I feed the receipts through, um, they usually don't come out very clear. Um, I turned the, um, the, the quality way up and, and they look okay but sometimes it feeds it through funny or cause I stick them in my pocket and then they get all crumpled. So, um, what I've been doing is I've been taking pictures of them with my iPhone. And then if you open the Dropbox app on your iPhone, it will sync all the pictures on your phone up to the, up to your Dropbox cloud. And so from there, then I can, uh, sort them on my computer to wherever they need to go for my tax purposes. So, uh, I, I'm going to recommend the Dropbox app as well. And, uh, Anyway, um, I believe that's it. So, uh, thanks for coming guys. Um, I want to talk about the schedule and then we'll wrap up the show. So next week we're going to be talking to Jonathan Shank. Um, he's a member of the podcast mastermind. He's not in my mastermind group, but he's, he's somebody that I met at new media expo and he's an, he's an expert in outsourcing and using Odesk. And so we'll talk about how you can use Odesk, uh, Odesk to, uh, augment what you're doing in your business. And they actually do have Ruby on rails developers on there and other developers on there. So we'll talk about um, some of the things that you can look at to figure out whether or not you want to go that way. The week after I'm going to be, we're going to be talking to my attorney. His name's Jared Richards, and we're going to be talking about contracts. And then the week after that, we're going to be talking to another person in the podcast mastermind that I met at new media expo. And he's an, he's an expert in prospecting. Um, prospecting being, you know, finding leads and his name is Steve Cloida. So, um, if you're interested in any of those, and then finally at the end of the month, we're going to talk to Scott Sweeney again, we're going to talk about bookkeeping and business expenses. So we've got the next month booked out and we've got guests coming on to talk about some of the things that we may or may not have expertise in. So anyway, get excited, pay attention. Um, we'll get these topics covered for you and we'll talk to you next week. Take care.